Hello and welcome to It's Only a Sequel, our new podcast about the forgotten world of fearful follow-ups. And today, as my special guest, I have comedian slash actor slash dreamweaver slash slasher of prices down at the local supermarché. It's Mr. Lewis Cooper. Hello. You forgot wrestler, kickboxer. Well, uh, to be honest. Trainer. um, If I went through the list... I'd, it, that would be the podcast. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Jill of all trades. So. A Jill, well, yeah. that's, that's exactly exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. You're. Um, anyway, you're, uh, thank you, yeah. thank you for having me. You're welcome. I mean, yeah. you say that now, you might, you might regret this decision. Oh yeah, it's steadily that steadily declining as we as we speak. Oh yeah, but, no, but I mean, would it be one of my podcasts without uh, discomfort? Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so, how are you doing? Uh, oh, terrible. The world's awful, isn't bad, it? Really but, bad. You know, so bad. But at least we still have movies and we can talk about movies. So that's yeah, good, isn't even it? Even if we can't go and see them in a safe and. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. And not feel completely safe and comfortable. Not that I ever did, but, you know, that says more about me than anything. <clears throat> it does. But, you no, know, we can watch I, them at home on our special Blu-rays. We can, we can. And, I mean, luckily. Um, so, uh, every time I have a guest on, I ask them to pick a sequel. Um, and I knew you which one you were going to go for instantly. Immediately. Immediately. Yep. yep. Um, so, yeah. Um, but luckily, I, I, I bought this on Blu-ray uh, about two years ago, I think. Maybe a year and a half ago. When it, mm. when it first came out, yeah, about two years ago, I think. It yeah, yeah. Now. Um, and so it meant I had a nice spangly copy of it to watch uh, for this. Yeah, I believe we have the same one. It's the Arrow Collection. It is, yeah. I believe. Ironically, I watched the um, the theatrical cut quite recently, but on mm, Horror Channel. It was ironic. Um, mm. So I didn't even watch my nice Blu-ray in the end. <laughs> Uh, the theatrical cut, I ended up watching it on a um, kind of standard definition uh, horror channel. Ugh. Classic. High def or nothing, uh, I say. With adverts and everything, you know, the way it was meant to be seen. <laughs> Version you've never seen. Uh, <laughs> um, which is obviously, nice. for people who don't know, a reference to uh, the director's cuts of uh, the original film. Mm. Um, if anyone's listening yeah, to this, then they probably do know. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose. <laughs> um, well, I mean, or, it's, not very, it's common, my not very commonly known cut of the film, I suppose, um, mm. for people who aren't into horror. Or... Funny you should say that, because this one, even more so. Well, this also has a director's cut. Now, I said I was going to drop a bomb. It's not a massive bombshell, so don't worry. A bombshell on you when we started the podcast. I said, I'll, mm. I'll tell you when we're, when we're recording. But um, So, uh, I don't remember the theatrical cut that well i've only seen it twice once a few months ago and before that in like 1999 i think um mm-hmm. so i don't remember it that well um but i decided today to watch the director's cut mm-hmm. um instead um and i because i knew you were going to watch the theatrical cut so what i thought was thinking this would be interesting if um if i could kind of talk about it from my perspective and um, and I, I have written notes about this, but I was really worried that I wasn't going to know what extra stuff was in it, but I needn't have. And I'll tell mm. you why in a bit. Uh, 
well, it's very fun. I watched the theatrical one uh, again. I've probably seen it three times now, and I've watched the director's cut once, I think. No, twice, probably. But then to refresh, I looked at some of the extra scenes earlier, which, you know, there isn't a tremendous amount of. It's mainly the ending, isn't it? You know, there's a few bits and pieces, but yeah. yeah. Oh, well, so, we'll so get to that. Uh, there's not a lot of that on the director's cut disc, um, mm. but there is something interesting, which we'll talk about. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm ready. So, um, well, let's start off. Why Why did you pick Exorcist 3? Well, uh, short version. I'm a, I was a, a latecomer to The Exorcist in general. I only watched it in recent years. Since being friends with yourself, or since knowing you, um, I've uh, been cajoled into the horror world. Some would say coerced a bit more, but it's... Uh, but yeah, and I always, The Exorcist was one of those films that I put off watching for a long time because you always hear about it being the scariest thing ever. And I watched it, and... I do find it very unsettling, but all the big moments in it, you kind of know just from pop culture for years, yeah. don't you? It's been parodied so many times. Um, and then the sequels were something I never really thought about. But as I say, as you know, I'm a big fan of the original film now, as I've watched it a few times. But then I think it was probably you that first mentioned The Exorcist 3 to me. And then, and then someone I respected mentioned it as well. So it was, uh, <laughs> sorry. And uh, no, so I saw a few bits online about it, like the Red, Metal, Red Letter Media video um, and stuff like that. And I thought, so I think I knew a fair bit about it even before I watched it. And then finally I saw that Blu-ray that you said about and I, I brought it. I just kind of thought, yeah, I'll give this a go. I thought it's quite a nice Blu-ray if nothing else. And yeah, I just really like it. And I think it is something that is, not talked about enough like and you know whenever i mention it to people like in the real world who you know don't spend as much time thinking about these sort of things as we do they kind of go there's an exorcist three and i was like yeah yeah there's like four of them not including different versions but like yeah um and, and I just, yeah were, i really like it if you were Sorry, gonna pick an exorcist sequel mm. you, no one's picking exorcist two are they no <laughs> much much maligned exorcist two yeah so i uh, think that's that's isn't interesting i think that is partly why this film isn't really highly regarded until probably more recent years because yeah number two kind of killed it off for everyone and then this one is quite a good film if in a slightly different vein to the rest of it which again is the reason for the two different versions because they went stick an exorcism in there will you and we can slap the exorcist name on it he went well that's uh, William Peter Blatty, we should say, he was like, "Well, no, that's not that's not this movie. Put it in there." Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so, what I found interesting about your description of that um, mm -hmm. was that um... was it my silky voice? It was your silky voice mm -hmm. uh, and the smooth way in which you delivered it. No, it was um, yeah. was it you talked about? Uh, the first film being unsettling, but all the big scares are ruined by kind of pop culture osmosis, yeah, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And I think that's a really good place to kind of start on why this is, a, I think, the best sequel is mm -hmm. because it has all of that, but none of the, um, the prerequisite, you know, like kind of, uh, moments that you expect, yeah, because yeah. it's not know, been parodied it's... like ever. Although like, you know, like... <laughs> it really has in other horror films, um, and for good reason, because mm. I think, and we'll get to it later, this has the best jump scare in any film of all time, bar one. Mm. Um, I have an interesting point about that as well. Well, interesting to me, but yeah, we'll we'll get to that. 
I um, keep saying that. When are we going to get to these things? <laughs> I, I mean, I guess when they come up on the list or never. Four hours long. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, so, uh, well, um, this it was directed, I believe, by William Peter Blatty. Blatty? It was. Um, well, it might be Blatty. I'm not sure. I always think Double T Blatty, but yeah, um, I think it's Blatty. And it was, he has three credits on hmm. IMDb. Two of them are this film. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and one is his first film 10 years earlier called The Ninth Configuration, which mm. is, I vaguely remember it. It's, it was pretty good. I think it's a few of the same cast members as well in both films. Um, but yeah, um, I think he was fairly disappointed with um, how his work had been adapted up to that point. So I think it was, this was a bit of a Clive Barker situation where he was like, mm. You know what? They keep fucking this up. I'm gonna do it for myself. Mm. Um, I think and... he's quite heavily involved in The Exorcist. I think because him and William Friedkin worked together on it. I think, but yeah. But yeah, I, I think know. I think The Exorcist itself had taken on a life as a franchise, had taken on a life of its own. And I think yeah, a lot yeah. like Wes Craven, this is The Exorcist's Nightmare on Elm Street three. Really, mm. um, this is kind of like the true oh, sequel. such nerds. The true sequel, isn't it? <laughs> like um which is weird but that's exactly what it is it's like um it's a course correction for for the films but it's also i believe based on the sequel the book sequel that he wrote to his original yeah i i looked that up because i think he wrote this as a film originally and then it it wasn't going to get off the ground so he wrote it into a book and then later it was then adapted into a film because yeah i think um he originally spoke to Friedkin, uh, William Friedkin, about directing it again, like he directed the first one. And I think he liked the idea, but eventually they had a creative differences. William Friedkin falling out with somebody, I don't believe it. But um, but yeah, so I think it, it was one of those things where he went, this, is, this isn't this is going to get made into a film, I'll write it as a book. And then eventually it did get adapted as well. But obviously, again, very differently to what the book is for yeah. various reasons. But yeah. um, I will say that... See... It's not even like a a downside, really, but the the filmmaking in it for a film made in 1990 mm. feels like it was made in 1972. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's very, but that works for it. I'll get in again. We'll yeah. get into that a bit later on. But like, <laughs> yeah, a, we do, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's like, at first I was like, I can't believe this was made in 1990. It feels so like old school filmmaking, you know, like, um, like slow, like in camera zooms and, you know, mm. like, and stuff like that. Um, kind of very static shots where characters just move around. So, you know, like, and um, I guess we're getting into it now, <laughs> but you know, no. but it, um, it feels very like reminiscent of like movies like The Godfather and Scarface, and it's got that kind of tone to it in terms mm. of cinematography. But that really works for it later on when the horror stuff happens because it's not shot like a like a traditional horror film, so mm. you you never know what's coming, and I think that's what helps it kind of stand apart. Um, anyway. We'll get into it. So it's a very good assessment. Um, I'm going to tell you what I think the plot is, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, and then you can kind of correct me as we go. So okay. uh, for those who haven't seen it, the, there will be spoilers. Uh, so you have been warned. As um, as I said, like I went into it with almost full spoilers, and I still really enjoyed it. 
So, but yeah, it's fair to give a warning, but also, yeah, I think apart from maybe the ending. I mean, maybe I don't understand the film spoilery. whatsoever. So <laughs> we'll find out. Um, so from my understanding, mm-hmm. the film opens on a detective who is, um, who is trying to solve a case um, in which um, he believes a killer called the Gemini killer that he worked on this case 15 years ago has returned. Um, and so um, after trying to track this killer down, um, his one of his good friends becomes the victim, um, which gets him completely personally embroiled in the case. Um, he then discovers that somebody in the hospital was the perpetrator or he has a, a, a high suspicion that they were. It was someone who was moving freely around the hospital in which his friend was in. And so um, he finds a patient who he discovers to be um, Damien Karras, who is the, the priest's assistant, the younger priest. Yeah, yeah. From the original Exorcist. Yeah. Although he's played by a different actor, which is very confusing. And the and yeah. Brad Dorif is never listed as portraying that character. There's a list of mm. actors who've portrayed him, but Brad Dorif. But I guess that's the point of the film because it turns out that um, Damien Carris isn't Damien Carris anymore. He's now possessed by the spirit of the Gemini killer who mm. took over his body after he tried to commit suicide. And as he was about to die, the spirit of the Gemini killer jumped into yeah. his body after he was being executed. And then he spent, he's been what basically been walking around for 15 years, um, mending this guy's destroyed dead brain to the point where he can kind of be conscious in his body. Um, and this is where it gets a bit hazy. He's also yeah. been possessing the kind of like um people with like like the old patients in the, in the hospital yeah wing who have like alzheimer's and autism and things and like, like that. catatonic people and stuff yeah. like that and but, basically yeah. using them to commit these murders um and we discover that his ultimate goal is that he wants the press to rem- to know he's back um, he wants the world to know the Gemini killer has returned. And mm. um, he uses, the, the at first, the doctor, and then he tries to use the detective as leverage for that. Um, mm. And the detective will not have it, and in the end, an saw shoots him. Mm. Um, after, after he sends a, a he possesses a, um, an old lady who dresses as a nurse, goes to his house and tries to cut off his daughter's head with a pair of giant silver medical shears. Mm. What a great weapon for a horror movie, by the way. Yeah, it's, like, I mean, it really, I really don't stands think out. they actually exist. I, I, I don't think so. I've never, no, I've never seen anything like yeah. that myself. But maybe, you know, in very olden times when that was the only way you could cut through bone, I guess. I don't really know, yeah. but I'm no doctor. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, the the bits that are a bit kind of confusing are made even more so by the fact they're different in both versions in a sense. It is the, the idea is the same, but in the theatrical, it is Jason Miller play, playing Father Karras, or he's credited as Patient X. 
but then he turns into Brad Dorif at certain points. But in in the interest of it being easy to understand, it would be good just to have it as Jason Miller. Yeah. But also, both of them are so good in the film, in both versions of the film, that you can't really get rid of either of them. But what I read earlier, which I didn't know when I did some research, was that there was a scene where his face like changed between multiple different faces, but the effects weren't up to scratch in Blatty's opinion, so they cut that bit out. Um, so that's that is the one bit that confuses me. But essentially, yeah, um, from from the sort of the monologue that the the Gemini killer slash um, Father Karras gives, <coughs> um, he says that the master, as they call it, which was the demon yeah. from the first one. Um, essentially it was a means of revenge for him being expelled yeah. from his body it was uh he he put the spirit of the gemini killer in his body right, to then yes of course destroy him yeah yeah so it's it's, it's um you know it's it's, it's a bit but is, convoluted, is that but, just yeah. in the director's cut yeah yeah because i so like there are like I think 20, it might, it might be 20 minutes way. of just full brad dorf scene yeah, in, which is brilliant. Like, like, but it's copied over. I, I'll, I'll mention it now because uh, I was really worried that, like, I wasn't going to be able to tell what the new stuff was and what the old stuff was. Mm. Um, but you can tell because yeah, the luckily, quality yeah. is <laughs> deeply, deeply lower. Uh, mm. It's basically taken from like an old VHS. Yeah. Um, and like to be honest, that adds a lot to it. I think. Um, there are mm. bits where. Uh, well, I'll get. Well, I mean, I'll come back to it. But um, where Brad Dorf's doing like sound effects, like um, yeah. Michael Winslow, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like a horror Michael Winslow. He's but he's doing like the noise of like horses and trains. But it like I don't know whether it's meant to look like that or just the video quality is so bad. But it looks like his face is changing when he's doing it, and it's yeah. something so like unnerving about it when he does the horse, it almost looks like his face stretches out. Yeah, like, I do remember seeing that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not just me then. And, I, you know, it was just... Maybe it's um, just... But, so, would you say that's a fair s- summary of the plot? In yeah, general? I th- yeah, I think so. Um, and one bit I think that we kind of glossed over, and for me is like the real sort of... One of the real strengths of it, like especially early on... Um, I'm a big fan of films about strong friendships. I've realized this in myself in recent years, like especially like strong male friendships. It's not really a thing you see like Answers represented. A lot of about us. Yeah, it's like, but um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Why we never talk yeah, to like, each other. Yeah, that's true. I've never met you before. Um, but yeah, you know, normally when you see male friends in films, they're like buddy comedies and stuff like that. But to see, you know, a really strong friendship that's been built over the over the years and like the relationship between father dyer and um lieutenant kinderman who was again we're both in the first film played by different actors but um but yeah i think they're really good because you don't get that much of it before father dyer is killed but they have a couple of scenes together and they're both such good actors like especially george c, george c. scott and ed flanders i believe it is not to be confused no but, it's um, deedly doodly <laughs> um uh, but yeah, um, and they're both so good together when they just have a bit of back and forth. And I like how they both say, oh, this is my, the day of the year where I have to go and cheer my friend up because uh, that's when Father Karras died. And they both they both say it about each other. So they're both there to cheer each other up because they think it's kind of their duty kind of thing. Um, and the little monologue about the carp in the bathtub, just uh, yeah, crazy. Yeah, I know about that. that I do like it. Um, my my. My fun fact about George C. Scott, which I really like, is that he's, I think he's a great actor anyway. I like him a lot. 
but um, he's one of the few actors to have turned down an Oscar. I, I don't know. I don't know how many. I know Barnard Brando did it for his for The Godfather, but George C. Scott did it for the film Patton, where he played General Patton, and he just went, uh, you know, awards for acting. That's really stupid. Like, no thanks, like, basically, which I admire a lot. But yeah, but um, he's... <laughs> I mean, you get the feeling that he's uh, he's a bit of a method actor, you know, because it, like you can certainly imagine. Uh, Kinderman turning down that kind of yeah, thing. He's that yeah, kind yeah. of character. Like he has some great lines. The one it is not in the file, <laughs> and we're not. fine. <laughs> I think about that. It is not in the file quite regularly in my everyday life. Um, yeah. He is emotionally unstable. Mm, I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah, but in some strange ways, like um, he gets so mad about like um, them not listening to him about the Gemini killer that mm. it brings up all his feelings about his friends dying. Like, yeah. and it's like, no one says anything, but you know that's why he's crying. Like, yeah, yeah, that's really you know, good scene, And yeah. then you go, like, what are all these men thinking? That this man, like, mm. is crying now. Charge, like, yeah. you know, like, oh man, it's weird. It's like, but so good. So good, so mm. good. Um, I also really like the scene when they're they're having like dinner or whatever, um, Father Dyer and Lieutenant Kinderman, and they're he's basically explaining what was what happened to the boy that was murdered and about like the like the ingots in his eyes and how he cut his head off and that. And both of them, the way they react, the way they sell it is so good. Like, oh, yeah. um, well, like because like, the description's yeah. horrible, and then you yeah. see his reaction. But there's the bit where the waitress comes over and asks if they want more coffee, and they both just kind of you know can't really sort of answer and it's just it really it's another thing that's interesting about the whole film is that there's not really much violence in it it's just the way it's described well, all the way say, through. this is uh this is a film of description like 100 mm, percent. very like graphic. so it's like you almost never see anything um mm. i mean and when you do, it's go like it's pretty goofy. So I, th that was a safe way to go. We'll, yeah. I'll, we'll get into the ending later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is basically the only action in the film, I suppose. Because mm. um, everything else has already happened or happens off screen. And it's all sold by someone basically going, let me tell you about this horrible thing that's happened. Mm. Either 15 years ago or a few days ago or just now, let me tell you how horrible that was. Like, mm. um, and the whole film's like built on, on that idea, really. Yeah. And it really works. And at first it's almost frustrating because it feels like, like it's keeping something from you. But the more you realize yeah. what it's doing, the more you realize that it's, its strength is in there. It's a lot like that scene in the Hitcher um, with the two trucks uh, pulling the girl one direction and the other. Um, and you never see what happens, but your imagination does all that work for you. Mm. And this whole film is that. Like, it just goes, here's like this really awful thing that happened. And like, you can't help imagine it and whatever you imagine is tailored so much to your own like disturbed sensibilities rather than mm. if they just said here's some kind of 
Tom Savini horror makeup or, you know, mm. like, and I think, like, it just adds a lot of class to it that you don't yeah. expect a film called Exorcist 3 mm. to have. Um, but it it's a film of conversations, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does, it opens really interestingly. So uh, I don't know whether, I can't remember if this is the case with the original one, but it opens in black and white. Um, Tubular Bells is playing mm-hmm. for, I'm not kidding, probably about five seconds. And then it just kills yeah. it with this like ominous droning that like, um, they did a very similar thing at the opening of Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. Um, but it it was a kind of thing that I felt feel like happened in horror films back then where they go, Oh, you know, the classic, you know, keyboard tones that you've got used to in horror films. Well, put them aside because this is, this is grown up stuff, you know, like, yeah. I'd like Halloween four does that really well. It opens with this kind of like, um, instead of the usual Halloween thing we've got used to, it just suddenly opens with this, ominous drone and as it kind of floats through Haddonfield showing you like basically like an ab- the abandoned Halloween decorated streets and this yeah, is very much much, yeah. the same kind of tone um, and it yeah, really Yeah I think the theatrical one I think opens mood. in the same way I don't think it's in black and white if I recall and it has the bit with the, the, the steps and kind of going down yeah. the steps and that kind of thing yeah um, yeah so I think it, that bit probably is more or less the same I just don't think it's black and white, as far as I, as I recall. Um, well, there is also a deleted scene. I'll just mention it now because it's. Uh, Go for it. Um, that it's a deleted prologue. Uh, that's meant to be for, at the beginning of the film, and it's has all the hallmarks of like, like a slasher movie. Um, it's basically um, what you call a Brad Dorif's body gets brought in, and they're like. Uh, Oh, who's who's this guy? Like, you know, um, or it might be Jason Miller actually. You don't really get a great look at him, and the footage is like a little bit, right. you know, old. So, but they bring the him in, and um, like these two guys in the morgue are like talking about him, um, and then the lights start flickering and flashing, and he's like, "What's going on here?" And it's basically like a setup, like a slasher movie. You know, you're expecting to come to life and kill them. But then it just cuts to what I assume would be then the opening of the film. But they, so mm. they did shoot some stuff that actually answers like a load of, like you know, yeah. not and but fleshes out that idea that he was, you know, that he possessed um, Karis as he was dying. You mm. know, so it's it's interesting. Um, but I, the op- the the opening for me, I think sets the top the sets the theme and tone for the film yeah. which is like um like what good is religion in the face of real genuine carnage like you know like because the opening is uh, it's like a lot of like bible verse and stuff like that but over the top of like awful crime scenes in the real city like you know, real police detective work going on, grisly, you know, them looking under sheets at dead bodies and, like, um, and I feel like that's what uh, Kinderman and Dyer's relationship is born out of, is this, like, 
um, you're the man of religion, I'm a man of the real world. Like, you know, and like even their conversations are like like a battle a lot of the time in terms yeah. of those two things. And I really like that. And that, but like that's there from the beginning of the film, like the opening. Um and the first you know 20 minutes is basically the friendship of these guys. Um and we bond with them over kind of recounting of the various details that are important to the plot, the various killings and uh, the carp story, um, yeah. <laughs> which is which is amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the first shot we get of the Gemini killer um, early on, and the in the director's cut, it obviously is from the original footage. Hmm. Um, because it's <laughs> the quality drops for about 10 seconds. It's just a shot of Brad Dorff sat in the cell. And then we go to at the end, like a like a sandwich shop or a restaurant or somewhere. Uh yeah, they go to the cinema first, don't they? And it then the they cinema, yeah. yeah, I think that's where they, they talk that's where they talk about the carp. And then they yeah. go to like a restaurant afterwards kind of thing. <clears throat> um yeah. Uh, the carp story is great. <laughs> it's, it's it's such a random little bit, isn't it? But it's uh, it's but just I, very. I am trying to figure out what it's saying, but I think it 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 pertains to the ending, which is basically if he finds the killer, he will kill him. Mm. If he's if yeah, he becomes that. sure that the killer is the killer. Like, um, once he finds the killer, he will kill him. Like, if he sees the fish swimming, he will kill the mm. fish. If he yeah, sees the fish that, yeah. doing what it's doing, he will kill it. Um, and obviously, in the director's cut, I can't remember how the original one ends now. Um, I remember the well, the big well. We'll get into that <laughs> later then. Um, so I remember the big shears moment, and then I don't really remember what happened after that. Um, yeah. So, but in this one. He goes and he's 100% sure now that this guy is the Gemini killer. And so he fucking killed him because yeah. he kept his word. If he sees the fish swimming, he'll kill that fish. That works better in the director's one than it does in the theatrical one. Because it would say in the theatrical one, he goes, I'll kill it. But after a big old light show, <laughs> like, you know, it's like... And, <laughs> To be honest, I like both endings. Um, I like the simplicity of the director's one where he just goes, Yeah, I'm just gonna shoot you in the head. Like, but also that is ultimately how the theatrical one ends up, just with a lot more drama beforehand. Like, yeah, is is the, the priest in the director's cut? Like no. So there's yeah, a really weird thought. bit though. Uh I I'll try not to jump ahead too much. Well, I, but I I will end up jumping ahead to, straight to the end. But so um, when the old lady shows up at the house, the nurse mm. at the end, um, to kill his daughter um, because he won't do what he says. Um, he won't go to the papers about the Gemini killer returning. So he basically he says, well, then I will kill, you know, I'll, I'll kill somebody that you care about is essentially mm. his threat. Um, yeah. So he sends, he possesses this old lady and sends sends her after the daughter. She's got the big shears. 
Um, and as they're fighting, um, there's an insert shot from the direct from the old footage um, where he suddenly just goes, Damien, and then the old lady falls on the floor. Like, mm. um, and so what wasn't very clear in the original cut, which I feel is more clear here, is that somehow Damien is also with him. Um, and so yeah. he wrestles this, you know, this woman from internally to the ground. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and I quite, I quite like that in this version because uh, there's no other actor playing the character. So you just suddenly get like a glimpse that the priest is in there. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit more surprising than, yeah, you know, yeah. um, yeah, because it's definitely not in the original cut. Like I say, I mean, the, the footage is mad degraded for this one, yeah. two second shot. Say, I'm pretty sure there are some similar, same shots that are in both versions, but sometimes it is the older footage, whether it's just, I think it might just be because it's part of a longer scene that's the old footage, and then they use some of the, some of it in the theatrical, but shorter chunks of it. Maybe, yeah. This so, was yeah. a very weird two second insert in yeah otherwise that maybe in the theatrical to a similar degree because i do remember the old lady falling over and it all being a bit weird but yeah yeah well that's um, what i mean i remember initially not really understanding what had happened yeah like <clears throat> you know it was just everything kind of happened very fast and then yeah. this woman falls over and i guess the director's cut answers that question which is that it's supposed to be caris yeah. inside uh this old lady so um Right, well, uh, let's let's move forward. So the next note I have after the carp, which is a bloody good bit. Uh, <laughs> Don't carp on about it. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Go on. Uh, moving, um, moving, moving. Well, I mean, this on. is fucking straight into your wheelhouse. So they literally mentioned David Lynch, like... Do they? In the restaurant. Um I think it's a deleted scene, though. So it must be because I don't remember that with the actual. Uh, they mentioned yeah, a razorhead. Oh, do they? I, did, yeah. I completely forgot that. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, I should have watched it. All. Um, I was it like, oh man, like I thought. To be honest, I thought that's why he likes this film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Because I've mainly watched the theatrical one. I, I didn't even know that was in there. That's yeah. Cool. It's um, it is part of the uncut. Mm. stuff but yeah they mentioned a razor head when they sat in the restaurant oh, um, nice. there's like a whole sequence before it goes back to the where the original starts off in the mm. restaurant so uh but i mean this is where we realize that this film is built on philosophy like um real we really realize that when mm. they talk about their friendship and religion and um and it like you know any thoughts I had about oh is that the theme of this film are like cemented when they go to the restaurant you know um but that's where he talks about the Gemini killer and stuff but I, I really like the philosophy of how they both view this stuff you know like yeah one's like a gritty seasoned detective who sees dead bodies on a daily basis and one's a man of faith who believes that people are inherently good you know like um and so that's kind of like, I don't know, it's like a nice juxtaposition. But it also gives them a stronger friendship, I think, than, um, yeah, you know, than didn't you, like usually in these films, 
like characters are like such good buddies, you know, like uh, maybe one of them's a bit more of a ladies' man than the other, but they're yeah. cut from the same cloth kind of thing. One's a bit more of a loose cannon. Um, well, that's my other point is that like how many films do you get where your leads are like what in their kind of late sixties? Yeah, I mean, if not if not older, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think. George C. Scott lived much longer than when this film came out. To like, be honest, but yeah, yeah, like th- this... the original actor was uh, died before this film. There's no Tom made, Atkins. There's no, you know, <laughs> him going on dates with like seventeen-year-old girls. Yeah, he loves uh, that. You know, this is in the uh, movies, not real life. Well, as far as we know. I mean, yeah, but yeah, just to not besmirch the legacy of Tom Atkins. But, yeah. No, of course not. Um, as far as we know, um, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, like it's really interesting to see. And it's a choice that, like, you don't see very often, you know, or if you do, it's for like, you know, like, a, but he's not like, he's not the old man character that you get in this kind of film either. He is like, he's a pure dick. Like, <laughs> you know, usually like old men are like, oh, they've had a rough life, but they're a good soul underneath. Mm. This guy is a dick he's through just... and through. Like he loves his wife he and his daughter, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, and he hates his mother-in-law. Like you know, Standard. and like everyone annoys him, and he's got no time for anyone, even his best friend. Like you know, he's got no patience for anyone. Um, mm. But like, yeah, he's a real dickhead. <laughs> but like, no one ever seems to really call him on it, except for one character. Which we'll get into in a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean. Apart from obviously Brad Dourif. Um mm. but uh, yeah. So yeah, I like it's an interesting outlook on um, yeah. like yeah. Here we go. So I've written here. There's lots of time describing horrific events. I call it the charmed effect, uh, although right. that's really unfair on this film. But in Charmed, there would be like lots of exciting stuff had had happened or was happening <laughs> but they didn't have the budget to show that so they just talked about like magical tribunals and like you know what's wars and all this but um yeah but that this is like the classy version of that where they basically it's just monologue after monologue of like some shady shit went down it was fucking horrible like you know um so I can't remember in which order this happens. Um, but I think, yeah, it's... Uh, I think next is the confessional booth. Um, mm. Where the, the, the someone shows up to confess their sins. Um, an old lady, it's, uh, it sounds like, doesn't it? Um, mm. But not quite it sounds like almost inhuman but it has like a kind of like an elderly rasp to it um yeah comes to confess um her sins and she starts confessing to these murders and then they find the priest dead um shortly after and it you know it's it's an unnerving uh an unnerving scene uh, there's a bit where he's just sat inside the booth, sliding the door backwards and forwards. Yeah, but you don't they have know. Like a little, little yeah. mock-up model of it as well, don't they? Like, yeah. And it's just for a while you don't understand what's happening in the scene. 
So you're just yeah. seeing this booth and hearing the door slide backwards and forwards. And you're like, what is going on? And he's in there just trying to figure this thing out. Like, yeah. And I like saying that. about the um the jump scare later on. There's also a really good jump scare there where the other police yeah. officer opens well, the thing. That, 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 yeah. that, that gets sets every us time. up for the kind of jump scare that we're gonna get in this film. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like he slides it back and you go, wow man. Like and it really does get you. Um it does. Yeah it's good. Um so then his friend die father Dyer ends up in hospital. We find out it's like a genetic condition, don't we, that like that runs mm. in his family. His brother died of like it brings him that penguin, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I found this in the street. I thought you'd like it. <laughs> um, well, that's where you kind of start to get the sense this guy's a real dickhead because he's just horrible to everybody on his way into yeah. this place. Um, but there's a bit where the nurse comes in. She, this nurse is important later, but I didn't realize it at the time that it was the same nurse. Um, yeah. There's this like there's like the you know your standard horror movie sexy nurse who drops off the meds and stuff. Um, and she looks more like she should be in Nightmare on Street 3 than Exorcist 3. Um, yeah. But yeah, so she shows up and someone says, but they say it off screen, may the Schwartz be with you to her. Yeah, it was Father Dyer that says it. I, I right. noticed that as well. And yeah. I said, Dan, I said, what the, what's that? Yeah. Why did he say that? Like, is that a uh, reference to Spaceballs? Is that yeah. something? He's... um. They're big movie fans, aren't they? Yeah, so, well, I, 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 I mean, I guess it's like... Um, there can't be anything talk, else as a reference to. Yeah, like, I, you know, it's just, it just, it was funny. Like... Yeah, I, I, thought, I, I forgot I about that until I watched that? yesterday. Or was it, yeah. may the Schwartz be with you? Um, so this is a really good bit. I've got a little bit of trivia for you here, although you probably already know it. Um, I do love trivia. Uh, so then we go back to... Um, kinderman who's sleeping and he has a dream of uh, this is where my notes kind of start to become just weird written in front of everything yeah i i've, I've made probably the same notes but yeah it's, uh, <laughs> so i'll let you go ahead yeah, we, we, so he has a dream about this strange representation of heaven which is almost mm. like a homeless shelter you know like mm. um or like an old school hospital um and he says something. He sees the kids who we talked about being murdered earlier. Yeah. And he says, "Oh, hey, man, I'm sorry you're dead." Like, yeah, yeah. So matter of fact, and he's like, "Ah, it's cool." Like, <laughs> and he's walking around, like, um, and there's a blind man there, who is played by Samuel well, L. Jackson. He is indeed. Mace Windu himself. Yeah. I can't believe it. I didn't notice One it at the his... time. I just clocked him in the credits and was like, "Oh, oh yeah." That's, yeah, I've, I've, I think that, that was pointed out to me a while ago. But yeah, he, he has one line. He's on screen for about four seconds. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that, that was one of his early, early ones, wasn't yeah. it? Um, so around about when he was working for Trauma and uh... yeah, probably just before he did like Goodfellas and just before yeah. he did. Um, it might have been after Do the Right Thing because he was in that quite a bit. But Coming to America. Maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely, yeah. This is when he just was a guy that just popped up in things and, you know, he wouldn't take any notice. But then, you know, the film that made him was Jurassic Park. So, yeah. I thought it was not Death by Temptation. Uh, poss the, possibly. The, the classic, possibly. The trauma classic. <laughs> um, but yeah. But yeah, um, so, like, boy, I love the representation of heaven. It's so yeah. abstract. But did, while he's did you there, spot the other sees... sort of cameos in that as well? 
the uh, the model Fabio was one of the one of the ah, angels. No, I did um, and two of two of the characters in it are were NBA players. One was Patrick Ewing. Uh, see, I see. I wouldn't know. One. I wouldn't know that. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I just know it because it was pointed out. But um, and there was another one. Also, while we're on the topic of cameos, there's one earlier in the film, in the restaurant where they're eating and they're talking about the murders and that. Uh, Larry King is there. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's just having dinner at a table, and I went, "That's Larry King. That's weird, isn't it?" And it, and it is like, you know, it's Larry uh, King. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. What a strange, so strange thing. Maybe he was just there. Who knows? The refer- yeah. yeah, the weird references, like the David Lynch stuff and the, mm. the Schwartz and, you know, yeah. this is a... <laughs> the I film like, made for us. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, but I really like the the representation of heaven here. Um, and I guess it's something you don't really think about in The Exorcist, but you probably should because, yeah. I mean, they talk about hell and that kind of stuff quite often. <clears throat> but I I like that it's such a cynical view of heaven, like yeah. um, that only this character could could have. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I see that. Yeah, and then he sees his fr- he sees Father Dyer, and he says, "Oh, are we like uh, like laughing?" He says, "Are we having the same dream?" And he says, "Oh, I'm not dreaming." And he wakes yeah. up, and like it's at that point, you know. That he's dead. Um, yeah. So it turns he has out the, the stitches in his neck, like the kid did, doesn't he? Yeah. It turns out in the night he was uh, murdered um, <clears throat> by uh, what we assume is at this point the Gemini killer. Um, mm. His head was cut off after after his entire body was drained of blood um, and left in pots on the side next to his bed it's a very like you know um like ab- like obscure death scene yeah. but again we don't um, see anything we don't yeah. hear like we don't there's no kill scene there's nothing there's no shots of dead bodies done up by tom savini or anything he just <laughs> goes in we, we see, see his reaction pull him back the sheet and like, for a moment, not really being able to take that image, and then he goes to talk to. I mean, I'm guessing this is purposeful, but the person that everyone must have gone, she's the killer. <laughs> uh, when yeah. the when the nurse shows up, like, no one acts like this guy's a dick, except this woman. Yeah. Like, she is just like nah fuck you like he's asking a question she's like so fucking what like you know and it's just she's so like abrasive like that you just you think she must be the killer she must she must have something to do with this and they set her up as a red herring later on um you know um towards the end Mm. Um, and so it's, but yeah, she's weird. She's weird, weird, weird. And that's where we meet the weird old lady who turns out she was, uh, she was there. Mm-hmm. Um, they found her fingerprints on the bottles of blood, I think. Is is that right? I can't remember exactly, but I remember <clears throat> the bit about 
that say the the blood in the vial was being very neat like that's the way i described it as there yeah. being like nothing spilled or anything I thought that's, that's quite a nice touch yeah um and there's yeah there's i've just written a note here there's there's a lot of weird editing and it's at that point that the editing feels really strange it's hard to describe it like a lot of the film is made up of like you know like almost as if like some of the actors didn't show up on a day where they needed to shoot a scene mm. so they like they like edit in like some like kind of like random strange imagery with like a conversation going over the top of it like yeah. and then it'll suddenly abruptly cut to like you know someone walking down a corridor or like um you know or like suddenly being in another place or and it just i mean I feel like it's supposed to add to like the kind of unsettling feel of the film where like you're suddenly somewhere else and you're like, how did I end up here? It all, often feels like a dream. Mm. Um, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's interestingly put together in terms of editing. Much like myself. Yeah. Like a, like a Frankenstein's monster of, just various things. So they call me. Um, so yeah. Uh, so then we really get to meet um, Brad Dorif. Um, mm. For the properly for the first time, we've alluded to him a couple of times now in the director's cut. I don't think it's in the original cut. Um, but yeah, we now meet Brad Dorif, like as the actor Brad Dorif, the Gemini. Well, well uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess the Gemini killer. They don't really say who he is. The confusing thing for me is they kept going, that's that's Damien Karras. And I'm like, it's from not, the first that's, film? That's Wormtongue. I'm really um, confused. Like, And then I was like, I seem to remember this differently. But I think that's where I didn't understand what the director's cut was doing until afterwards. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. Was, it was just basically removing that actor altogether yeah um, but i did find it i mean i did find that 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 character confusing the first it's you know the last time jarring, I yeah um but yeah like also i haven't seen the exorcist for quite a long time the first one hmm. so i'm like Karis, that is, is that's the character from the first film right like hmm. um you know so Unless you've got like a good a good memory of every single character in that original film, yeah. Um, That's in so in the theatrical, it, it is Jason Miller from the beginning, yeah. And then he just turns into Brad Dorif at one point. But in, that's an interesting point because um, the, the thing with the thing I thought about, it, I think this is kind of relevant to the time the film came out because we kind of obviously we're very spoiled now in, in terms of our access to films. But um, early on in this film. Uh, Father Kinderman mentions that him and Damien Karras were best friends and he, say, he says he loved him kind of thing but in the first film they, they just kind of meet and then they have a few conversations so I, I feel like this is more based off of the book because Kinderman was a much bigger character in the right, first okay. book so, but also um, I think that maybe this is why the film didn't connect with audiences as well initially because if you th- think the exorcist came out over 15 years before this film yeah. and unless you'd seen it on tv or you had i mean the, the video maybe like yeah you probably wouldn't remember it much like you said well, also you i think it was it. banned here yeah when exactly this came yeah. Out. so yeah um 
so yeah so i think like that would be a big an issue bigger issue even if they had released that cut then kind of thing because people would have been like is that the guy from the first one because you couldn't wikipedia it could you like you'd yeah. be like well, I had, to, I had to today to go like to double yeah. check that that was the right character. Yeah, exactly. But I think back then you'd be like, you'd have to just pick it up on the context kind of thing of them mentioning it and going, oh yeah, was that the first film? Like, I mean, I know they say it enough times with like, oh yeah, the, the little girl 15 years ago and stuff like that. But yeah, it's interesting that you have to kind of figure it out in a in a different time to what we live in now, which is quite interesting, <clears> I think. But, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think. Um, I mean, they're right. They were right to use Brad Dourif because he is incredible. Like, it is amazing. Yeah, I don't like, know if it's in the <clears throat> director's cut, but I noticed in the theatrical one. At one point, he says "child's play" as well, which I thought uh, was quite, no, yeah, quite amusing. Yeah, oh, he just—it's it, not like a wink, wink. It's just you know, it's just part of the thing. He just says yeah. "child's play," but I thought that's. Well, this that's, was that's after he, a couple of years after he played Chucky, wasn't it? Mm, exactly so yeah so that's what i thought yeah. i thought i wonder if this feels like that. the kind of film that would launch a career but mm. we forget that he'd already done a fair bit before this yeah one flow of the cuckoo's nest long time before this yeah, yeah so. um well that's what i mean it, i always remember this as a film much older than it is because of the way that yeah. it's made you see it's 1990 you go oh yeah i guess that's not like that, yeah not like that, that feels way too late for this i film. was alive when this came out like <clears> it's you know um so then we meet like an uptight official um, who mm. looks like every uptight official in that era of movies. Yeah. Um, and he is someone I know from playing that sort of character in different things. I don't but, think yeah. it's the same actor because I think I thought the same thing. But then as right. I examined him a bit more, because I know who you mean, I can't think. I'm going to look him up because I feel like I know him from something and I meant to find it earlier. Um, but yeah. Um, he he looks like another actor who plays that kind of role. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's him. I could be wrong. Okay. But I'm I'm fairly certain it's. Uh, That's fine. No, I'm just it's just interesting. It's not him. But I mean, I I'll bow down to uh, you know, to be I'll uh, I'll I'm ha I'm happy to be wrong. No, I don't, um, I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to say <laughs> you're wrong. I just I'm just curious. Yeah. But um, anyway, so this is usually the scene in this kind of film. Where because they've locked the hospital down now, he's convinced the killer is here and moving around the hospital. No one gets in or out unless it's an emergency. Is basically his <clears throat> his mo now. Uh, while he figures out this case, and uh, this guy is tearing him a new one. You can't do this. It's going to scare everybody. You know, like you're terrifying everybody in this place. And what usually happens in a film like this, of this era, um, is that. Like you're a loose cannon, you're off the case, and they have to go rogue. And <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they give me a badge and your number, kind of thing. But instead, what happens is he just, I mentioned this earlier, he just fucking starts crying. Mm. Like, because he can't take the thought his friend's dead any longer. Like, and then he goes on and brings up the Gemini killer. And how they mm. fed like fake information to the papers to weed out all the crazy people who they knew would come in and admit to all these murders after reading all the stuff in the papers. And he said, but these recent murders, they've all been very specific to what actually happened. So index finger cut off and the sign of the Gemini carved into their left hand, not their back and not their middle finger on their right hand, as we told everybody. 
in the papers. Mm. And that's how I know it's the Gemini killer or someone connected to them. And like it fucking shuts everybody up. You know what I mean? Because mm. they're like, you're crazy. How could the Gemini killer possibly be back? How could you possibly know that? And you think, how could he possibly know that? And then he, bang. Like, it's so well done. Like, um, and it's almost, it's like Columbo-esque, almost. Yeah. <laughs> you know. God, I wish, I wish it had been Columbo. One more thing. Oh, <laughs> someone's cut my finger off. <laughs> oh, uh, one more so, thing, because my wife loves you. So then there's some fuck, oh, this is like the most subtle bit in the film. And like, like if you miss it, it's so important. Um, so then it's just a random scene. There's other stuff, other conversations and stuff. And then he's down in like the morgue and he's talking to like some doc, like some uh, morticians who work down there. And he's like, what's this? And they're like, oh, it's a big chopper. You know, you open it mm. and then it closes itself. So you've got to be pretty strong to open that though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they show him. And he says, what's this tag on it? And he goes, it's a shipping tag. And he goes, oh, why? What happened to the last one? And that's it. Like, we don't get, like, it was stolen in the middle of the night, you know, like. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anything. It's just, it's right there. And we move on. Like, mm. uh, and it's so fucking subtly done. But if you miss it, the whole end of the film wouldn't make any sense. Mm. Um, you know, so it's because you do see it later on, but you don't get a great look at it. Um, when we get we'll get to that point. Um, but yeah, it what a weapon that is. It's just fan dabidozy. Um <clears throat> so then we get you the might weird say stuff. it's a cut above the rest. Oh a slicing comment there from Lewis Cooper. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so yeah, then they, uh, he goes to meet another priest and they talk about the scene that you mentioned where it turns out that uh, he knew Karras, or, or at least they retconned it to say he knew Karras yeah. very well. Um, you know, what I really like about the priest is he's like, do you drink? And he's like, nope. And he's like, I fucking do. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, um, there's something going on there. Like there's something following them around. And there's like the stuff with the lights, which is important later on. Um, but there's, uh, did you notice, there's basically like a statue of like the Joker in the church. Yes. Oh, now that you said it, yeah, no, I, I really, that really caught holding me a knife. When I watched it. Yeah, and I was like, what the yeah. hell is that? It looks a little bit like uh, the killer from um, the House on Sorority Row. I was like, what's going on here? Yeah, I forgot about that until you just said it. Yeah, that that really is really odd. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's just it's like a kind of porcelain Joker statue with a knife. Mm. Like He's a big fan of the film that came out the year before. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> um. Yeah, it just it was really weird and very like you feel like they chose to shoot there because of that and no other reason. Like <laughs> maybe, yeah. Um so then there's like a really weird bit that I didn't understand the first time around. Um and I guess I must have missed the bit that connects the two things, or I'm like I don't remember it very well. Um there's a bit where the doctor at the hospital that we've met a couple of times now is uh, rehearsing 
a speech to yeah. uh, Kinnaman, and we're like, but we don't realize at first. He's like, he's 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 rehearsing, like he's he's basically telling the story of like uh, where he found Brad Dorif. Mm. Um, and then we look, and he like he stood there, and the detective comes in and he shoves this paper in the drawer. And then he starts saying the exact same thing he's just been saying, but he starts glancing yeah. over his yeah, notes, yeah. and we're like, "Is that really awkward thing with the two cigarettes as well?" Burns. Yeah, like, <laughs> and it's you're like, you really are like, what's going on here? And it's again a strange juxtaposition because the doctor we see in the picture on the wall is this kind of like suited, like very proper, like you know, authoritarian man. Like there's like a portrait of him on the wall, um, but he's like this fucking nervous wreck, like chain smoking. His hands are shaking. He's like, like, and you're like, what's going on with this guy? Like, you know, it's just really odd. And you think, is this going anywhere or is it not? Like, it is odd when you first see it. Um, and I think the first time round, I didn't see what happened later, so I was like. What the fuck's this about? <laughs> like, um, and Weird so you bit. start to assume he's the killer. Yeah. Um, which I guess is probably the point. Um, and then, uh, so from here we get, um, in the cut I scene, which is where I know it diverges quite wildly, mm. because suddenly for the next fifteen minutes. It is basically video footage, right? Of Brad Dorif's big long speech, where he mm. does different impressions. I think there is probably chunks of that in the theatrical. Like, uh, I feel like, like it tends to be a horse or a train, but mm. like they're real sound effects of those yeah. things, and it's very odd, and it looks like his face is changing all the time. Yeah, I um, think, but I think that you're right, could though, be yeah. video artifacts. It is hard for me to say, um, but it does look. It's weird. It adds a lot to the scenes, um, and it they just basically again, very similar to the opening of the film. Um, they're just ph philosophical discussions between the two, mm. the two of them, but now, from, I guess, if he's been. If Father Dyer was presenting the world from God's point of view, now Brad Dorif's presenting it from the devil's point of view, mm. you know? Um, and so it's like, this is about halfway through the film, so there's kind of like a flip on where we've, where we've come from to where we're going. You know what I mean? It's quite nice. I do like it. And then there's a bit that is fucking so terrifying. And it's not even the scariest bit in the film. But it's just, he starts singing in Italian in a little girl's voice. Mm. Man, it's horrible. Yeah. It's so unnerving. Um, <clears throat> and then he says something, and I didn't clock it first time I watched it, um, but luckily I had the subtitles on this time. And um, he says he's becoming exhausted and he starts to pass out. And he says, mm. good night, Moon. He says, good night, Amy. And then he falls yeah. asleep. 
And I was like, what? Like, so anyway, then here's the masterpiece scene. Like it gets it literally like the new Black Christmas ripped off this whole sequence. Right, um, right. But it's because it's that good. And this is genuinely, I think, the second scariest scene in any film of all time. Like mm. it's just done so well. Um, so it's basically a big long shot of a nurse walking around the corridor performing her nightly duties. Um, we get a short cutaway where she goes into a room because she hears a noise and it's ice in a glass. And the patient jumps mm. up and goes, what are you doing? You're always in a uh, fucking picking on me in the middle of the night or whatever. He goes, what's your name? I'm going to report you. And she says, I'm, I'm Nurse Amy Keaton. And I, you suddenly make this horrible connection that I've never made before. Mm. Um, that, like, obviously she was next. Like, so she goes around a, a night of duties. And I think what works about this scene, it's just a shot down the hallway. We've had this cutaway. Now we're back in this shot and it doesn't move. And she goes back to her desk. Then a policeman comes in and he's like, hello. And he goes and he sits right across the desk from her. And she's continuing what she's doing. And he gets up, he goes to talk to someone. He comes back, he leaves. She's, you know, doing what she's doing. And as she steps away from the corner, this spectre in like a white gown comes out with what we now know to be these huge shears. Mm. But you, don't, you wouldn't know that from, it just, and then it cuts to the decapitated statue of, uh, Jesus, I think it is. Yeah. Um, and my God, I got honestly, I, like, I go cold thinking about that, mm. that scene. Do you it know what? Amazing. Because it... oh, I knew about that before I watched it because I'd heard about it being. Yeah, I've seen that scares. scene out of context before. But every time I watch it, I'm always on edge because I'm always going, right, I know this is coming. I know it's one of the times she walks in and walks out, but also. <sighs> The bit with the patient sitting yeah. up makes me jump more yeah. because I'm waiting for the other one. And then yeah. that bit gets me and I'm like, oh, no, but I don't know if that's deliberate because they think people will be expecting it. And then that kind of jumps out. But then also when I watched it last night, I was like, right, I know this bit's coming. So, and then I just forgot exactly when it was and it, it didn't quite make me jump, but it still made me kind of alert. Suddenly I was just like, it's oh God, just, yeah, that's where it is. It's everything about it. It's the way it happens, it's when it happens, and it's what's happening when it happens. Like, it's just so abstract and weird and just the last thing you expect to see. Like, mm. like you because you expect to see, like, in Brad Dorif come running out with a knife if you're expecting anything, which you're not anyway. But it's, yeah. it's almost like a ghost. Like, and it's just... It's so well done. Like I say... It's the second greatest jump scare of all time. What's the first? Well, I'll leave that for another day. Oh. But I'll probably tell you later. Or you're just going to wait uh, until Although, ironically, um, ironically, it has just come out on um, Arrow Blu-ray in the last couple of months. Ah. So that should narrow it down for eagle-eyed listeners. Eagle-eared listeners, I guess. Eagles have good ears. They um, do. If small, feather-covered ones. But, you know. Um, 
Hope well, that's, given us that's good. That is, given that is really good. Um, so then we, for me anyway, in the director's cut, we got another 10, 15 minutes of Brad Dorif basically just laying it on. Like, and he's this... chewing that scenery. At this point, he, uh, he goes into Karis's past and basically how he got there um, and discusses all this kind of like, you know. Oh, sorry, just before that. So they discover the nurse is dead. And then we discover that the, the doctor has killed himself. Um, but mm. it's in a very similar way that um, the cop described one of the killings using like a paralyzing agent earlier. Yeah. So we're like, did he kill himself or was he murdered? You know, it was, yeah, yeah. But then uh, Brad Dorif at this point then alludes to the fact that he did kill himself because he basically asked him to do some unspeakable things and he couldn't. Um, but it also turned out that the doctor had been basically like his minion, um, you know, in making, helping the Gemini killer kind of get, get word out there that he had returned essentially. Like, you know, he was embroiled in this. He was broiled. Um, embroiled. So yeah, we get like a, so it then goes into the fact that he possessed Karis as he, after he tried to kill himself. Um, and so he's then been, he spent years in a catatonic state, basically trying to repair this brain, like his brain cells, so that he could operate as the Gemini killer again, which is why now these killings have begun again. Because mm. um, he's managed to gain these cognitive functions back from the dying man's brain. He's basically been living, like trapped in like a, like a meat prison for 15 years. That sounds um, horrible. <laughs> it does. Unless you really like meat. Even then. Ugh. Eat your way out like sausage like sausages for bars and you could <laughs> eat yourself out bacon for locks. Oh, the term meat prison is gonna disturb me for a long time. More so than anything in the sleep film. on sleep on a, a T bone steak. <laughs> bacon <Anyway>. duvet. <laughs> You've got like a lamb shoulder for uh for uh for your pillow, but also to cry on because you're in prison. It's a oh, shoulder to anyway. cry on, Lewis. Let's 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 move on. I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> it um. So then we come back to what? What's she called? Mrs. Celia. Um. Celia. Who is um Mrs. Sealinger? Uh. Because uh. we get this cool bit that again gets ripped off all the time and stuff now. Yeah. Um, She's a big Lionel Richie fan. It's shot. So weirdly that it almost becomes like amusing rather than scary. And I think, yeah, like, and it's because of the way it's so there's like a long shot where she just comes in, starts crawling on the ceiling. But then there's a lovely shot down below where we see her crawl into shot, look down at the detective and then start crawling away again like a spider. Yeah. And I feel like if that had been in the film, just that shot, mm. like that would have been like another one of these amazing moments that like is remembered forever. Yeah. Um, and that that specific shot 
gets nicked. I think Hereditary nicked it, and like you know, like yeah, um, very similar. Yeah, but the wide shots really kill the tension there, and it's a mm. real shame because it, it comes off a little like a bit goofy video, in a weird way. Yeah, if you know what I mean? Like yeah, um, it's a... but yeah, like it's like a like a Marilyn Manson kind of yeah, video or something. Yeah, very you know, much so. uh, but it's still a cool bit, and it had to be, uh, you know, it had to be mentioned. So at this point. He goes back to see. Um, no, he doesn't. He's already seen Brad Dorif. Brad Dorif tells him the doctor's killed himself, and now you're going to do this for me, or basically, like, you know, I'll make you sorry. And as he, as he's standing there with the old lady crawling around the ceiling, he thinks he's got it all figured out. It's that fucking dickhead nurse who was a dickhead earlier and he chases her down and it turns out she's just like... She's being a, a good dickhead. nurse. Yeah. Doing she's all job. right. Looking you know what I mean? Kid. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I and do really so like the... It's um, because the she Brad... brought in... Um, she she was the one who signed him in, Brad Dorif, when he first came in, mm. wasn't she? And yeah. um, that's what he says. It's not in a file. It is not. Yeah. Uh, File. She's a real well, dick about it as well. He's like, well, what happened when you brought him in? She's like, well, it should be in the file. And he's like, well, it's <laughs> not in a file. It is not. Um, but yeah, it's uh, she's a real dick. And so he assumes that she has something to do with it, as we all probably do by now, because yeah. she's quite close with the doctor who killed himself as well. Um. So we yeah. kind of go, right, okay, there's something going on here. The, it's the doctors perpetrating this stuff, you know, like, um, but then he realized, but then, and this is the bit that I don't really understand, but I guess I don't need to. Um, so he looks at her and she has the same name as his daughter and he goes, oh, fucking Julia. Yeah. Also, I think um, there's a really good Brad Dorif line where he says, "You're sending a clear invitation to the dance," and like, I think his daughter's a dancer, isn't she? For ah, a dancer. I think nice. that's part of it as well. I think yeah, because when he, I think you hear the line, "Clear invitation to the dance," and then he's like, "Yeah," he kind of puts it together with the name and the, the right. that thing as okay, well. Okay, that's pretty good. There is a good yeah. bit earlier where they figure out that um, Father Dyer's middle name was Kevin. Yeah, and in the cut the I've got, it just names, cuts yeah. to, um, like one of those shitty video shots of Brad Dorf going, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> like, in the theatrical. Oh, right. it's a different. It's a different. Um, it's but it's like a you know one one that's actually in the the finished version kind of thing. So, no, right, yeah, it's just really weird that they used like a, yeah, like a because it again it's like two seconds of shot mm. in the film, but it's like it reminds me of a. The Alan Raptor. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, but now I will every time. There we go. Oh, well. <clears throat> uh, so then it becomes basically like, um, and this is where it feels like the studio went, come on, come on, please. You have <laughs> to have something. Do so some they exercising. have like the world's laziest car chase through like, <laughs> uh, is it Chicago? It's uh, Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they they're racing through uh, like the traffic and stuff because he's suddenly and we keep getting we keep cutting to this nurse 
who's like sat clutching a bag and mm. we're like oh, she's the killer and the whole time i'm going who's this woman yeah yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah um you know and i thought i'm gonna have to look this up i'm sure i'm sure i must have missed something um or i haven't been paying attention properly mm. um but then i remembered as it happened that i felt exactly the same last time um yeah she's the one that was holding the rose in the hospital wasn't she yeah. she was one of the other patients but yeah and uh yeah so she he gets the house oh th this is a good bit though so the phone rings um he goes to call his wife and the phone rings she picks up and she goes hello oh a nurse oh right excellent i'll be sure to let her in and then it mm. cuts to him and it's like a fucking engaged yeah. dial tone on the phone tone, yeah. and you're like oh man like yeah and it's so well good. done. So anyway, he gets there and she goes, what's this nurse all about? And he goes, what? And he looks and she's just sat there like, uh, she says mm. something weird, like, uh, like, uh, you know, is it dinner time? What time's or breakfast? Yeah. Or something time's like that, yeah. 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 You know, like, yeah. Um, and he's like, okay, like fucking, we need to, we need to fucking sort out what's going on here right now. And then suddenly he just remembers that and you hear the line echoing through his head as she reaches into the bag and pulls out mm. this chopper uh that the catatonic are like really easy to to, yeah, to take possess. over their minds yeah to possess and he's like he turns and it becomes like suddenly for a split second like a dario Argento movie like yeah <laughs> with like where is it the mother-in-law who he spent the whole time in this film going what a fucking bitch! And yeah. all this, like pulled her out of the way just as these yeah clippers close. It's a weird shot, isn't it? It's almost cartoony. Like it, when it, it's happens. like it look. It's like like I say, like an old kind of like Italian. Yeah. Um. Well, like, kind of thing. I think that's why the film doesn't have this kind of action in it because that's how it comes off I yeah, feel that's like how it would look, yeah. you know and it's not a bad bit it's very weird though like mm. um and yeah um you can tell that he wasn't particularly comfortable shooting action like that is why yeah. I feel like because it's very yeah, chopped up that. all of a sudden um and the rest of the film kind of you know signifies that he prefers to do things kind of willfully and with you know determined like with them um, intent you know mm. and th that feels very like chop 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 you know uh, ironically because of the chopper uh mm. it's very ironic you know and then um yeah uh so then he grabs hold of her and she tries to strangle him and then she gets briefly possessed by damien Karras, uh and he forces her to the ground uh, and we realise that Karis is still in there. Um, at least in this cut, because I think they allude to the fact that he's still in there a little bit in the original. Yeah, well, because you, you literally see him in the theatrical one. Like, it's just, you know, he's he's there because he's physically there. And it's... Um, yeah. But, yeah, so it's... Um, so yeah, it, and I think this that, is more that of, like, shot a is... twist ending, I guess, is that Karis is still alive and in... Yeah, and in this body, he's still in some sort of influence and control. Yeah, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, in the cut I've seen, um, I mean, it's really obvious what's going to happen. 
he basically shows up at the hospital, goes to like shitty footage again. Yeah. And he goes to the nurse. He, he, she goes, uh, he goes, can you unlock this for me? She goes, will you be long? And he goes, nope, it's, this won't take long. <laughs> and he goes inside and he just fucking shoots him like dead because he knows that. Uh, and w- what I like about it is that Brad Dorff's basically like, I'm playing the system. Like, you know, you won't be able to stop me because you're the good guy and I'm the bad guy. And I, mm. you know, I won't play by the rules. And you, you're a cop. You have to play by the rules. And he's like, mm, I've, I've seen you swimming, mate. Mm. Bang. I'm that, yeah. I like that. Uh, and I love it. Yeah. And um, it just cuts to uh, the sun in the distance. Newspaper. Setting. Yep. Yeah. The sun newspaper. Very similar to the op- opening shot of the first Exorcist, I thought. Yeah. And, the, then, uh, and then the it ends on a lovely. Um, him mm. a classic uh does it have the it? shot of Karis's grave in the in that one okay it does in the theatrical one that's right, interesting okay. um other than that the the ending shot with the sun is the same but yeah, yeah just it shoots him and it cuts to the sun mm. and then it ends and i was okay. like oh well to give you the the brief version of the theatrical one just to refresh your memory <clears throat> um so as we said before the studio went we're not releasing this Legion movie. You want to call it Exorcist 3, so stick an exorcism in there, pal. And he went, well, it goes against everything I'm trying to do with this film, but okay. And like um, a lot of the cast, I think, were upset about it as well because I think they were quite proud of what they'd done <clears throat> and then to yeah. have to do this bit. But yeah, so there's a little subplot with a, another priest. Um, I can't remember his name now, but there's a bit where he has a little injured bird in a shoebox and then the bird suddenly dies, and then the clock stops, like in the first one as well. And he goes, "Hang on a minute, there's some spooky business going on here." So he, he I can't remember the full, the full bit of it, but he basically goes, and it's like, it's like a WWE entrance where like the door opens and the priest is there in like his gear with his Bible, and he's like, "Come on, motherfucker!" Like, yeah, it we're, sounds we're familiar now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and but visually, it's not, it's not bad. It's quite, it's quite cool to see, but. I think from um so well, I'll just go through it, but he goes in and he has like a little face to face with um uh again it switches between sort of Jason Miller and Brad Dorif. Um and then he gets like thrown up at the ceiling and there's a really, really good bit. Like some of the some of the effects are really good where his face like sticks to the ceiling and he pulls it off and like it's all like pulls like his skin off and that. And then like he kind of gets like ripped open. So it's like it's the first time you've actually seen like the graphic violence that has been described throughout the whole yeah. movie. Um, and I think he just gets killed pretty much. And then uh, Kinderman comes in, and actually, I think the priest might still be alive. I can't remember because I think, yeah, I can't remember the exact what exactly what happens. But um, Kinderman goes in, and then he gets chucked about a little bit against the wall, which is funny seeing poor old George C. Scott going ah. But um, but yeah, and then I think they like the end of the first film. Um, the priest says something. I think the priest gives the cue, and then Damien. Uh, takes over the body again briefly like in the first film and he goes do it do it now not like Schwarzenegger but like shoot me kind of thing and then and then he kills him he shoots him in like the chest like three times and then yeah. he puts the gun to his head and kind of shoots him um and yeah it's like yeah and it cuts to the sun and then it goes to like Damien's like gravestone I think it updates his date of death to like whenever this was kind <laughs> of thing um and it's you know it's not bad but I think somewhere between the two would be best for me kind of thing i, I don't mind there being nexus element but it didn't there is a really cool shot where he comes out of the ground actually um jason miller 
and he's crucified on the oars like one of the bodies were and he comes out oh. like raises out like the fire and stuff it looks really cool but at the same time it doesn't quite fit with the rest of it yeah. but again i think i like the ending where he just shoots him but also i do like there being a bit of an exorcism element to it as well kind of thing yeah. so maybe somewhere in the middle and i like like i said before jason miller and brad Dorif kind of swapping because they're both so good in it. and jason miller's really good in it. he goes full like yellow eyes and that and like when the um obviously there you know he didn't do it himself and he lacks the ability to change his eye color but as far as i knew but um he tried acting dear boy <laughs> i love that <laughs> but um yeah the priest comes in and he suddenly sits up in like his straight jacket and he's like there's a priest i can smell him it doesn't say that but you know that's what he's implying but yeah um so it's 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 weird the differences but i like both but for me the idea will be somewhere in between i think but you know yeah, I I certainly prefer, prefer the bluntness of the director's mm, cut. That's what but, I like about it, yeah. Um, it does lose a bit of momentum having like these big long 15 minute scenes with Brad Dorif a little bit. Like, yeah, <clears throat> um, I think the theatrical kind of gets the the best bits of him and then but also i don't mind seeing the longer bits but i think for a theatrical cut i think it works best to have the the you know the, the punchy bits and then kind of not quite as much if that makes sense yeah but yeah, um, but yeah I, I i like the ending that i mean the ending the whole ending mm. either way feels like a studio note like we've got to have some action in there it's yeah, like yeah. um it's like the ring when they remade it in america and they were mm. like you know the original is like oh no like something really bad's gonna happen, like, and then it cuts to that bad thing happening in like a small Japanese apartment. But in the American remake, she's like racing across town in her car. She's got to get there, and then it cuts to his big lavish studio apartment where he's like, do 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 do. I hope nothing bad happens to me, and <laughs> you know, and like, and it feels like like that, you know, like oh, we've yeah. got to ramp up the tension for the end here. Yeah. Um, you know. I like that the main hero isn't even the one driving. It's just some other policeman that's doing the driving. Well, he's, he's just too thinking, lazy. Ah, get out of the way. Because <laughs> I just feel like they probably couldn't get George C. Scott to do that. Like, you, you know, it's, like, it's not the French connection. Like, and, you know, it's, <laughs> but yeah. Well, it did remind me of the French connection, though. <laughs> yeah. It was probably also really dangerous. I don't know. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought it was uh, like... I th I think it's a great sequel. I really do. I yeah, I'm. Uh... I'm. I'm. You know, after, after this conversation, I probably will watch the director's cut again because it's probably more. I mean, I say I watched it to get the gist of it for this, but I didn't get didn't have time to watch it today. But um, yeah, I, it's it's weird that there's two different versions, but I like both of them for yeah. different reasons. Like, but yeah, well, I, say, I think I think for me, like same. There's two absolutely completely different versions of the next Exorcist. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll keep meaning to catch up with that because one one is uh, is it Rennie Harlan did the the one yeah, and, then, um, and then it's my hero Paul Sh Paul Schrader did the other. Yeah, one. it is. Yeah, yeah so, <laughs> that's hard to find that one, isn't it? Dominion. Oh, I've it's on the I've got a box set with the two both of them in. Okay, I'll come around and get it. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Leave it outside. <laughs> On the street, <laughs> which is weird that I bought like a seventeen pound Blu-ray of Exorcist Three when I was like, hang on, I've got the box set with all the films in there. <laughs> That's Over not there. weird. That's very you. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 
But yeah, no, I think it's I think it's good. I think it's great. Um, you know, and I like there's certainly like I mean the whole point of this is that you know sequels tend to be looked down on as kind of inferior versions of mm. what came before We've them. Just yeah. We've just talked about it for an hour and a half. So and, you know, I, and uh... <laughs> although I don't think it's probably as good as the first one. No, I think but yes. Yeah. It's, it's maybe as good for different reasons. Yeah, it's very different. I don't I don't think you could put them in the same kind um, of film in many respects. But it does have the, the upper hand of not being in the public consciousness. Like Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, most people will literally you don't know it exists uh, unless they know that scare bit that's like the one bit that everybody points out when yeah. it's the scariest moment you've ever seen the film and everyone goes extras three that bit mm. um <laughs> again though i think that's just in kind of our circle rather than <laughs> tomorrow i'm gonna tell five people that i did a podcast about the exorcist three and they're gonna go there's an exorcist three like every single one of them I guarantee it <laughs> good that's good. the well, limit people, people i talked to in one day <laughs> um well i'm glad we got to talk about it I did. I did. I am. You I did. did. You did, and you am. <laughs> well, thank you for joining me, Lewis. It's been really nice to have you. It's been your pleasure. It has. Not. Good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, if you guys like this, uh, you can check it out on uh, anchor.fm slash micro, I'm doing about one a month at the minute, uh, sometimes less, sometimes more. Um but yeah, and also if there are any uh, any sequels you'd like us to cover, uh, hit me up at micro@live.co.uk. You can email me there and ask me to cover thing. Or um, if you're part of our Patreon, you not only do you get these early, uh, about a month early, but you can also make requests for sequels you'd like us to cover, um, and we'll do that. Uh, so uh, yeah, in other in other news, if you want to check out our films and t-shirts and uh, bangles and uh, uh various then go to uh myco.co.uk mycho.co.uk got loads of stuff there um but until until ne next time just remember it's only a sequel 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 it's only a sequel